these have been times that have been uh, times of uncertainty financially. There's been a lot in our culture. We're kind of swimming in some waters that have a lot of choppiness to them. There's a lot of, of stuff going on in our world. And, uh, you know, we've, we've even come to this place that in our culture, a lot of people just are grumpy and cranky and irritable. I came across some statistics this week that kind of showed a little bit of where we are. If you just look at air rage unruly passenger incidents in the United States, in 2015 through 2020, those six calendar years, there were a total of 786 incidents that the FAA and others had to get involved in in unruly passengers on aircraft uh, airplanes in the United States. That's six years, 786. In the first nine months of 2021 alone, there have been 789 incidents that had to be investigated by the FAA. And some of you say, well, I get it, the mass, I get it this or that. But we live in a time right now where people are irritable and cranky and, and it's even crept into the people of God where we have lost the spirit that God wants us to have as the followers of Jesus. When I look at those statistics, I kind of think of this cartoon where there's a, a complaints window and a gratitude window and the complaints line is pretty long and there's nobody at the gratitude window. I do want to talk today about gratitude, specifically about unexpected gratitude. If you have your Bible with you, or maybe you have a Bible app on your mobile device, join me in Luke, the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. We'll be looking at Luke 11, uh, excuse me, 17, 11 through 19. Luke chapter 17, if you want to go there, we'll start in verse 11. We're going to talk about unexpected gratitude. We're in the series called Journey how to walk with God, and we've been talking about the practices, the disciplines, the healthy habits of the Christian life that help us grow and thrive and flourish in Jesus. And we've talked about uh, 10 up to this point. We've talked about things like confession and community and service and prayer and scripture reading. We talked about, uh, we talked about stewardship last week. And this is the 11th of 12 weeks in this study. And these different disciplines and practices help us in our walk with Jesus as the followers of Christ. We've defined spiritual practices as the intentional behaviors, habits, or disciplines that help us walk with God and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Each of these, including the one we're looking at today, the practice of gratitude, each of these things puts us in a posture where we yield ourselves for the Holy Spirit to transform us and change us from the inside out and make us more like Christ. So what is this practice of gratitude? We know what it, we, we, this is that season, right? We're entering into that time. Even the pumpkin patch with the pumpkins kind of remind us of fall. Next month, there'll be a focus on gratitude with Thanksgiving. But then what do we mean by a practice of gratitude that's a part of the life of the believer on a daily basis? Well, the practice of gratitude is this, deliberately cultivating a surprising and uplifting lifestyle of being grateful and expressing thanks. Notice there's something deliberate about this. This is intentional, not accidental. It's deliberately cultivating, and it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. And it's surprising and uplifting. It's different and distinct than what we're facing in the world. And today, with all of the irritability and the grumpiness and people walking around with a chip on their shoulder, people complaining. And by the way, there's been a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty, a lot I understand to complain about. But the followers of Jesus Christ need to be deliberate about cultivating 
a lifestyle of gratitude. It'll surprise others. It'll lift others up in the midst of all that we're going through in our world. And what happens then is we will be grateful in our hearts and we will express thanks in our lives. Such a lifestyle sees gratitude as a proactive pursuit rather than a passive mindset. We need to proactively pursue being grateful and expressing thanks. We need to be people of gratitude. And let me tell you, this is a major way in which our world right now, where there's a lot of chippiness and irritability, this would be a major way they would see Christ in us. The light of Christ could shine through us through gratitude. And it's gotta be a proactive pursuit, not just a passive mindset that you're waiting for something to be thankful for. I've preached on, and we can talk about the attitude of gratitude, but this discipline or practice of gratitude goes a step further. It means that I am actively looking for ways to be grateful to God and encouraging to others. Let's look at uh, six hurdles to greater gratitude in our lives. There are some things that make it difficult. And these things, some of these things have been really, uh, the volume on these things have gone way up in the last 18 months of COVID and political turmoil and all that's going on in our world. But here are some hurdles to greater gratitude. Number one, busyness. Our lives are just so busy, so complicated. We're so engaged in stuff that we just don't have the time to slow down and notice the blessings in our lives, to the things that we should be thankful for. There's busyness. Secondly, there's a a sense of entitlement. You know, the more prosperous we are, or even if we're struggling financially, we can get this sense of entitlement. I deserve this, I deserve this, I ought to get this. This is the basic thing I ought to have in life in this area. And, And so we get this sense of entitlement. We're warned in Scripture about prosperity or getting this sense of entitlement. In Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 14, from the New Living Translation, we read, Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, Be careful, do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. Just feeling a sense of entitlement can stop us from really pursuing a lifestyle of gratitude. Thirdly, envy. Envy, this is the keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, my car is three or four years old. They just got a brand new car. Oh, their stuff is bigger and brighter and better and I ought to get this, I ought to get that. If she has that, I should have that. I ought to get that position at work. And we look around and and we envy, and envy causes us to lose a grateful spirit. Fourthly is indifference or apathy. We're just kind of numb to things in life. And maybe some of us have settled into that level. Maybe you're not a complainer or you're not walking around irritable and cranky, but maybe you've just settled into an apathy, a dullness, an indifference, and that can stop us from being grateful. Perhaps it's suffering. When we're going through painful times or the people we love are going through painful times, we lose someone we love, or or there's something that has caused us just practical pain in life, it's hard sometimes because of the suffering we're experiencing to see the good hand of God in our lives. That can be a hurdle to greater gratitude. And finally, the sixth hurdle to greater gratitude is negativity. Some of us are just born with an outlook that says the glass is half empty, right? 
We just have this approach that uh, takes that Eeyore approach of woes me and sometimes that negativity in our mindset, just the way we seem to be wired, it can just pull us down and it's hard for us to see the blessings, the things for which we can be grateful. Maybe it's one or two of these things or other things that you've felt in the last few months, uh, the last year and a half that has kind of robbed you of a spirit of gratitude let me tell you, if, if we would live with a grateful spirit, the people around us would, would find that something unexpected in these times. And we who are the people of Christ ought not to be known as the grumblers, the complainers, the cranky and irritable people. We ought to be known as the people of Christ who are grateful to God. I think there's a great story that helps us understand this practice of gratitude found in the life of Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, verse 17, or chapter 17, as I mentioned, verse 11, we have this incredible story of unexpected gratitude. Let's look at verse 11 of Luke 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now if you were reading this in the first century, Galilee is a, a Jewish area in uh, the Holy Land. Samaria is an area that is populated by the Samaritans. They are half Jewish and half Gentile. There is such a conflict between the Jewish people and the Samaritans that Jewish people actually at times got along better with Gentiles, and Gentiles got along with, with Jewish people, people who had no Jewish blood, than the Samaritans who are half Jewish and half Gentile. So there is this animosity and this hatred between Jews and Samaritans. So for Jesus to be walking, this is a ridge line that he would be walking from Galilee where he's from to Jerusalem, and he's right there on the edge of Samaria. And so this would, someone reading in this in the first century would, the hair on the back of their neck would stand up just because this speaks of conflict and contrast. Verse 12, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Leprosy was a dreaded disease in that era. It was a dreaded disease in the ancient world. It was very contagious and so people would be put into leprosy uh, colonies. They'd be separated from their family and friends because it was highly contagious. It was a disease in which the, the extremities, like the tip of the nose, the earlobes, the ears, the fingertips, toes, would just uh, the disease and decay and flake away. And it was an awful disease. It became a very painful disease. And there were these 10 lepers, and they met Jesus in this little village. They stood at a distance. This would be what they would understand in their culture as a way to stay away from spreading leprosy to someone else. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So these ten are yelling at a distance, Jesus, Jesus. And it'd be obvious that they were lepers off by themselves. And, and they're saying, show us some mercy. They'd heard of his healing and his power. Maybe they'd seen others healed. And they're crying out, have mercy on us. Verse 14, when he saw them, Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now that's an interesting statement. Some think, well, was there going to be some healing power with the priests? Actually, the priests were the ones in the Jewish culture who would declare individuals clean or unclean before the Lord. And those who had leprosy would be declared unclean before the Lord. And um, if they were ever healed or maybe they were misidentified before, the only ones who could declare them clean would be the priests. And so Jesus says, go and see the priests. And the implication is you go there and he's gonna, the priests are going to declare you whole and cleansed. And so they're very excited. And they went 
And as they went, they were cleansed. So as they're on the road from this little town and they're heading to Jerusalem to see the priests, they begin to recognize that the decay is going away and the fingertips are returning. They're being healed until the point where they are completely made whole again. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, he looks and he's just, he's just marveling at what's happened. He came back praising God in a loud voice. He's celebrating. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And this is this wonderful picture. And anyone hearing this story in the first century would be, would be so enthralled with this story. And then Luke, just in his style of writing, throws in, and he was a Samaritan. The way this is written implies that either he was the only Samaritan or he was the minority, that the others were Jewish and maybe there were a couple other Samaritans. But he's also throwing this in because for a Samaritan man to come and thank a Jewish Messiah and the other Jewish individuals not to come and thank him, that was distinct. This is unexpected that this man would be the one who turns around, goes back, and thanks Jesus. This is unexpected gratitude. Verse 17, Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I believe from this story, we, three, we see three stages of deliberately cultivating a lifestyle of gratitude. And oh, how we as God's people need to intentionally cultivate a lifestyle of gratitude, gratefulness, thankfulness. Our world needs to see us not the same in the same irritable, complaining, cranky mindset. There needs to be something distinct and different about us and we ought to be the ones who are full of gratitude. And we need to stretch our muscles of gratitude and grow in this area, in this practice of the spiritual life. Stage number one of these three stages in deliberately cultivating a lifestyle of gratitude is to open your eyes and find your blessings. Open your eyes and find your blessings. We've gone through a lot in these last several months, the last 18 months. It's important for us to stop and pause and to count our blessings, to see them. You first have to notice them, even if they don't look like blessings to you. Notice the things that God is doing in your life. Even the things that you say, I don't know how that's fitting together, but God's doing something in that. Ephesians 5.20 says, Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, thank God for the things you like. He says, thank God for everything. And he doesn't say, thank God sometimes. He says, thank God all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We're to find joy in life, rejoice, to pray continually, to have a spirit of, of gratitude wherever we go. In verse 15 of Luke 17, we read, One of them, when he saw he was healed. Now for this man it was obvious. I had leprosy and now I don't. And there are those things that we can notice in life that are the obvious blessings from God and we celebrate. But we need to dig deeper and even notice the things that we wouldn't at first recognize as something for which to be thankful for. Notice them. Then secondly, we need to embrace them. We need to embrace the blessings with our open eyes, even if they don't feel like blessings to you. 
Even if at first you say, this has been horrible, this has been challenging, this has been a disappointment, this has been a storm in our life, this has been a crisis. Embrace them, even if they don't feel like blessings to you. Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor, said, you cannot control what happens to you in life, but you can always control what you will feel and do about what happens to you. We can't control the circumstances, but we can control our response to the circumstances, especially those of us who know Christ and are being controlled and filled by his spirit. As we walk with him, even the difficult, challenging things are things in which we can be grateful and be thankful for. You know, we, we often in the Christian world love to share, you know, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and those are called according to his purpose. Sometimes we say that means if circumstances are bad today, they'll get better tomorrow. If we lost something today, we'll get three times as good a thing tomorrow. Because after all, all things work together for good. And we turn it into this Christian lucky rabbit's foot. But when you read verse 29, it tells us, what it is that is being worked together for good. Verse 29 says that God is intentionally conforming us to the image of his son, molding us and shaping us so that Jesus can shine through our lives and through our love of others. That means God takes the good, the bad, and the ugly, the disappointments and the pain, the things that don't look like or feel like blessings, and he makes us more like Jesus. It's not easy. I remember one of the first times I learned this principle that God is weaving things together for my good even when they don't look good to me. That he's molding me and shaping me to be more like Jesus so the world can see Jesus shine through me. I was about 14 years of age. I had uh, gone to public school, kindergarten through second grade, then third grade through seventh grade, or through eighth grade, excuse me. I had been in a private Christian school. And uh, my dad's country or company went on strike and finances got hard. And so dad uh, moved Troy and me into uh, the public school. And I was entering into ninth grade high school. And I was really rejoining the kids I'd gone to kindergarten, first and second grade with and kids I knew from Little League and other things. And, and my best friend next door, Lance, uh, kind of gave me some clues as to what classes I should take, where he and other friends would be. And when you went into, in northern Indiana, in the school I went to, when you went into ninth grade, you're required to take a foreign language. They offered German, French, and Spanish. Now, in northern Indiana, I didn't know anybody who spoke those languages. Uh, not even Spanish was spoken in our area. You just didn't meet anybody who spoke Spanish in that way, and like you would here in Southern California or even in northern Indiana today. And um, Lance said, we're all going to be in the German class. Because with the German class comes this extracurricular German club where we form a soccer team and we play other German clubs from other high schools. And he said, we're all going to be there. Sign up for that. I said, that's great. I'd played soccer in middle school and thought this is going to be great. This is the way I can reconnect with friends and get settled back into high school. And so um, my mother and I go in the summer and we sit down with the guidance counselor who's helping me get into my classes and he's looking at how terrible I did at math and so he put me in the welcome back Cotter class of math and, and he says, well, we got three foreign languages. Which one do you want to take? And I said, German. He said, oh, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. It's full. I was so disappointed. I thought, ah, that was the place Lance said I could kind of reconnect with all my old friends and ugh. 
then I remember Lance saying, if you can't get into German class and German club, then go to the French class because I hear like they make pastries and uh, they enjoy some of the cuisine. And so I said, he said, German's full. What, what's the other one you want? And I said, French. He said, well, let me check. And he leaves the room, comes back and says, well, now the French classes are all full. So you're going to be in Spanish class. I'll tell you what, I was so disappointed because none of my friends were in the Spanish classes. I ended up taking Spanish all four years of high school. Became quite proficient in Spanish. Even to this day, I can probably understand about 40 to 50% of what's said to me in Spanish, even though I may not be able to form the sentences. But I'll tell you what, uh, when I, if I'd learned German, I've been in Germany just a couple of times. One time I was in the Munich airport and got sick from food that I ate there. And, and uh, when I was there, most people spoke English anyway, where I was and the transportation systems and everything. And I've been in France a couple of times, and Leslie and I will go into a restaurant on the Champs d'Elysees, and uh, as we walk in, she walks in first, they speak to her in French, and as soon as I walk in the door, they switch to English. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) And so everybody in France I've ever been around will speak English to me, you know, so German and French haven't been that big of a deal. But I'll tell you what, I've been in some situations where I've even been able to share a little bit about the gospel because I knew Spanish. Now, as a 14-year-old, I was so disappointed and frustrated. I remember it just went away and it just like ruined the start of that new experience in that, that high school that I was going to and rejoining my friends. But God was weaving something bigger and I couldn't see that for a couple of decades. What God was doing in my own life. And we all kind of have those different stories we need to open our eyes and find our blessings. Sometimes they don't look like it, but we've got to notice them. Sometimes they don't feel like it, but we've got to embrace them. We've had song as a special here a couple of times at Calvary over the years. A wonderful song by Laura Story called Blessings. Let me read to you some of the lyrics from Laura Story's song, Blessings. We pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? What if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise? We need to open our eyes find our blessings. Secondly, we need to examine our hearts and ponder our blessings. The second stage in deliberately cultivating a lifestyle of surprising, uplifting gratitude is to share your joy, excuse me, to examine your heart and ponder your blessings. To examine your heart and ponder your blessings. Can I just say, the first blessing we ought to ponder is God's love for us in sending Jesus to die for us. That's the starting point of all gratitude, right? That we were sinners separated from God. Jesus died, was buried, and was raised from the dead so that we could be reunited into a relationship with our creator through the finished work of Jesus. That's God's love gift. 
And if you know Christ as your Savior, that's the first blessing you have to always ponder, and it really shapes all the other blessings, doesn't it? And the whole outlook on life. And if you're here and you haven't come to that place where you've put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior, you can do that right where you are right now. We'd love to follow up with you and help you or celebrate with you that you've come to Jesus. If you've joined us online or you're here in the room, you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. And when you text the name Jesus to that number, we'll follow up with a, a link to a website that has resources. Our team will follow up with you. We want to help you. So if you have questions about faith and about trusting Jesus, or you've done that recently or done that today, just text the name Jesus to that number. I'll be available on the patio for those of you who are here in the room. Uh, we have our care and prayer team down front after each service to pray with you about any need. You'll see them just standing here at the end of the service to pray with you about anything. You can speak to them. But, but I hope every one of you can stop and ponder what it means that you know Jesus, that you've experienced God's love in his saving grace. That's where it begins. Examine your heart and ponder your blessings. This guy, it says, he saw he was healed. He came back praising God. You see just the energy, how he has, has allowed this, not just to be an observation of his life, but it's come inside into his heart. You see, when we, we open our eyes to notice and embrace the blessings, to find them, uh, that's an observation stage. That's counting your blessings. But now when we examine our hearts to ponder the blessings God has for us, this is a place of appreciation. This is where we're being thankful on the inside. And it begins to mold us and shape us and change our outlook. Let your blessings bless you. This guy goes back and he falls at the feet of Jesus. He's not shouting to Jesus at a distance anymore. He's able to get close to Jesus. He's allowing the blessing to bless him. Aesop said, gratitude turns what we have into enough. See, gratitude, when you have gratitude for the things in your life, then there is a sufficiency and a satisfaction, satisfaction that comes because you let the blessing bless you as you ponder in your heart the good hand of God in your life. Secondly, let your blessings shape you. It kind of changes your outlook, your perspective. It shapes how you view the world, how you treat others, how you carry yourself. Let your blessings shape you. I love this quote. I don't know where it came from, but it's, it's such a simple quote. It is not happy people who are grateful. It is grateful people who are happy. You, you grow your gratitude you work on this practice in your spiritual life of deliberately cultivating a lifestyle of being grateful and expressing thanks. And guess what? It will bring a sense of peace and joy and happiness into your life. Thirdly, let your blessings humble you. I love how it says here, he threw himself, verse 16, at Jesus' feet. When we really ponder our blessings after we've noticed them and embraced them, it ought to cause us just to fall down before him in humility. We're to be humbled by the provision God gives that we have health to do our jobs. We have education, experience. We have a house. We have resources. We, we ought to be grateful to God for our families and our friends. There ought to be a, a certain sense in our gratitude that causes us to be humble people, to carry ourselves with humility, not an irritability or a crankiness or a haughtiness over others. Fourth and finally, when you examine your heart and you ponder your blessings, let your blessings disrupt you. Let your blessings disrupt you. Take them in. 
And as you ponder them and they change you, it ought to disrupt who you are. It ought to change how you react and interact with other people. It ought to change what your children and your grandchildren see in you. Do they see you as cranky and irritable and walking around with a chip on your shoulder? Or do they see you as people uh, of appreciation for the good hand of God in your life? Examine your heart and ponder your blessings. You see, you move from the observation stage to the appreciation stage. Then there's this third and final stage. And this is where we share our joy. Stage three, you move from opening your eyes and finding your blessings, examine your heart and pondering those blessings to you share your joy. You share your joy and celebrate your blessings. Now what you've observed and you have internally appreciated, it, it overflows in a thankfulness as a way of life. It's surprising to others. It's unexpected. And it lifts others up. Can you imagine those who saw this man leave with the ten lepers and comes back and he's made whole and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. He's praising God. He's thanking Jesus can you imagine the unexpected, surprising benefit this brought when he showed up in unexpected gratitude as a Samaritan, celebrating the work of God and thanking a Jewish Messiah? There are two things that we see in his reaction that ought to be what flows out of our lives as we express our joy. The first one is worship God. When you express your joy, you share it with others and celebrate the blessings in your life, it begins with worship of God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ never changes. And so when we stop and contemplate our blessings and then we realize that everything comes from him. See, you worship God since all blessings come from him. The scriptures say, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Everything we have in our lives that we've identified and appreciated as a blessing and opening our eyes and examining our hearts, all those things are from the very hand of God. So we need to stop and fall down before him and worship our God. We need to praise God loudly with a loud voice celebrating him. Psalm 69.30 says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 118.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Has your worship of God gotten dull? Have you backed off? Have you stayed home when you could and should be here? Are, are you worshiping God? In a few minutes, I'm going to mention that we have put together a playlist of songs of gratitude, thanks, and praise that we can listen to and sing along with to worship God. But then as we've worshiped God, then what comes as we share our joy is not just the worship of God, but then there is the encouragement that should flow to others. Encourage others. We should be lifting up others, not tearing them down. We should not be argumentative and chippy and irritable and grumpy and cranky. We should have an unexpected gratitude that shows up as joy overflowing in our lives to the point that it encourages others. Encourage others since you're blessed to bless. We talked about this last week with stewardship. We are blessed by God. What he gives us in our lives, our health, our, our, our talents, our abilities, our experiences, our education, our, our families, our homes, our stuff. We're blessed with those things to leverage those things, to lift up and bless and encourage others. 
First Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage each other and build each other up. Have you been tearing other believers down, other people down, your coworkers, your friends? Have you found yourself arguing over all kinds of things of politics and masks and vaccines to the point that you're no longer building up people? We need to be encouraging each other and building each other up. This unexpected gratitude will shine the light of Christ through our lives as we intentionally encourage others. Let me encourage you to just pull out your phone. If you have your phone, just pull it out. Go ahead and reach for it. I know you've got them. I see the blue kind of glow that most of you listen to me with. I'm assuming you're like deep in study in the Greek and Hebrew when, when, when I see that glow from from the phone in front of you. Pull out your phone and uh, think about somebody you can encourage and thank for pouring into your life. A couple of years ago, I remember reading that there was a survey done of teachers and coaches and pastors, the kind of people in our culture who pour themselves into the next generation and the lives of others. And they were asked, after those people leave your team or, or have moved away from your church or move out of your classroom, how many of them come back to say thank you in any way. It was less than 5%. Maybe there's somebody in your contacts that's been a part of your small group or was a part of your small group or poured into you, led you to Christ, had an influence in your life in some way, gave you a job, gave you an opportunity, and they're in your contacts. Just take one person right now, text that person and say thank you. Allow the overflow of your gratitude to encourage and lift up and thank someone else. Just take that time right now, even as I continue to talk, to find one person in your contacts to encourage and thank as a part of sharing your joy and celebrating the blessing of God in your life. This should be something that's unexpected, that's, that's disruptive in our, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at work, that we, we have a spirit of gratitude in a world where people are arguing and fighting and complaining. We should be distinct and different. We should be grateful and encourage others in a disruptive way. Years ago, after I preached a message, a man came up to me that I had never met and he looked at me and he said, uh, the Lord just blessed me through your message so much. The Lord has impressed on my heart to give you something and I, I just know Jesus wants me to give you this. Do you mind if I, I give it to you? And I said, if God's telling you to give it to me, please give me whatever it is that will express thanks and encourage me. He reached out with both hands, grabbed my cheeks and kissed me on the lips and walked away. <laughs> he just walked away. Please don't do that to me. I don't care if you're a man or a woman, if we know each other and don't know each other. That was unexpected. That was surprising. But it wasn't uplifting. We're not talking about something crazy or that makes you look like you're way out of... Just a kind word, an encouraging text. A way to say thank you to someone who has blessed you, someone you've noticed doing something good for somebody else. I think of one of my dear friends who's now with Jesus, Pastor Bethuel Dongo from Kabbalah. It's, his, it's the ministry that he started in the church and the school, God Cares School, that we've been so supportive of through our giveaway. And they're the ones, Bayamba Ministry has the pumpkin patch each year. Those pumpkins are completely paid for by a family at Calvary who grows those and just donates them for Bayamba. And um, every penny 
This year, every penny that comes in through the pumpkin patch, you can take your children, your grandchildren, pick some pumpkins and gourds, but every penny you give in donation in response goes to help people who are starving right now. COVID has hit places like Uganda very hard, and every penny you give will go to help feed children and their parents through our ministry partner there on the ground, through Bayamba, the God Care School, and the church. And um, I just want to say, go there with a grateful heart. Don't go and say, okay, this pumpkin at Lowe's would be, or at Vaughn's would be. These five pumpkins we got would probably be this amount. Be generous. I, I, I think of my brother Dongo and how, uh, how grateful a man he was. He demonstrated gratitude. He was working under some tough conditions where kids in the school were getting malaria. He was always wrestling to get food at just the right price just to give these, pe- these kids in the school there at God Care School just a basic, I mean, a very basic meal. Sometimes I remember he would just fight to get just a little bit of chicken meat or something that he could put in every now and then so the kids could have a little more to their diet. He dealt with government regulations and he dealt with people trying to steal and do different things and yet, yet I, I, I don't know if I've ever met someone who lived with such a grateful spirit. And one thing he would say to me whether I was there or he was here and we'd spend a little time together, he'd look and he'd say, thank you for loving me. And it wasn't some trite little catchphrase of his. He genuinely looked at you and said, thank you for loving me. And when he did, his gratitude overflowed into your life. And oh, that we would be people of unexpected gratitude in a world that's cranky and complaining and irritable and arguing. We ought to be distinct and bright and shine for Jesus in our thankfulness. Let me give you a few next steps that might help you as you think about how you can grow your gratitude. Number one, each day this week, make a list of 10 things you're thankful for and don't repeat anything. That means after seven days, you're gonna have 70 items and none of them are gonna be a repeat. But just notice them, embrace them, begin to internalize and appreciate it and ponder those things, but just make a list of 10 things every day this week to stretch your own gratitude and to develop the practice of gratitude in your life. Secondly, enjoy a gratitude playlist of worship songs. We've created one for you. I'll share with you where you can get that in just a moment. But just some songs of praise and thanks and and learn the words, sing it out loud to the Lord as you're driving, but allow yourself to spend some time just worshiping God. Thirdly, send four or five encouraging notes, texts, or emails expressing gratitude to others this week. Just take four or five people and be creative. Maybe someone hasn't heard from you in a while. Maybe they haven't heard from you in decades and you have to work to Google them or find a friend who might have their number because they impacted you. Go out of your way to encourage your kid's teacher or coach. Handwritten notes are great, but if you can't do that, an email, a text. Because I guarantee you they're probably getting a lot of complaints and negativity and, and you could share some unexpected gratitude in the life of someone else and encourage them. Now, these three things, along with other resources and how to walk with God, are found at calvarywestlake.org slash walk. As a matter of fact, that playlist is there. Just help you to be able to worship God. Let's take some very practical steps in leaning in and developing a lifestyle of gratitude.